0: Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 185th episode of your Rather podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and today our episode is one that we've already recorded a few weeks prior to this. So we had a pretty nice convo with Joshua Balzai. Yeah, that one guy who wrote Jurassic Park Chaos, that fantastic novel which we've already discussed with him, actually, in this very pod. So on this one app, we talked about whether or not one should discuss paleontology and if it's even wise to do that because, you know, we have fossils. And yet there are people who want to discuss that. So that's going to be an interesting one. I hope you guys like it. So I'll leave you with uh, myself from the past and Joshua Balzay. See you guys.
1: but like as as like for me the united states as soon as we had the uh, afghan war and 911 onward it's just been like crisis after crisis after crisis for americans um, especially americans born after like 80 83 85 like because then we got ronald reagan and then we got trickle-down economics and that's when we really started getting a lot of bullshit cut from us it, it's it's
0: tough man like, yeah you it's... know just from what i studied in like history class i can imagine only yeah so. <laughs> gosh no it's hard to believe that some of what i read in books actually happened to your yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we read books, you know, I mean, I tell people like that's the, down, the downfall of our country was because, ironically, everybody will read Twitter, everybody will read a three-page long Facebook post, but God forbid they read a book, you
0: know? <laughs> I mean, my books are only, you know, really selling and being enriched by people because they're also on the internet and people can just download the file, like...
1: Yeah. <laughs> the physical
0: version is basically not
1: being sold as much. <laughs> no, I am an old school like I collect classic book. So I, I found this antique um I, I think you can see it. It's a it's the Wind in the Willows. Oh. Um and it's a um it's a nineteen it's got a be it's like this is what I love, like old school books with like yeah, maps, totally. all that stuff. And like this isn't a this isn't a first edition, but it's an edition that came out in nineteen thirty three. And um, the illustrations are by Ernest uh, Shepard, who is well known because of the Wind of the Willows. So, and and I grew up with the Wind in the Willows as a kid. Um, there was like PBS specials, but you get these great like etched uh, illustrations. Oh, that look at like these, man! So detailed, like, they're like they're so cool. Like, this is my entire childhood right here. Was the Wind in the Willows and Mister Badger and. You know, I, I tell people, like, th- this was, like, the educated Disney. Um, if you were a kid and you knew about Wind of the Willows and not just Mickey Mouse, you had a pretty good, <laughs> uh, educated <laughs> lot of childhood growing up. Like, just this, like, again, really simple pen work, but as an illustrator, like, I I, I love this stuff.
0: Isn't this and special? Doesn't it feature Rowan Atkinson?
1: The the uh, cartoon?
0: I mean, there, there was also like a live action that I remember. Uh, well, uh, I don't think I saw the live action. Yeah. I I know about
1: the cartoon. I don't think I saw the live action.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm an uncultured person, so I watched the live action. So yeah. <laughs> I, was, I remember Rowan Addison, uh he was playing uh, Mr. Vagin. So I was just like, <laughs> perhaps that might be it. That might be it. <laughs> So long ago, though. Yeah, you know, I also had a, a... I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's called a uh, Tetherstone. And, man, that's just so incredibly ancient. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so this one was released in uh, 1976. Uh, it's just amazing because the pages are falling apart, but I managed to put them together and read the yeah. entire thing. It's just magical. You know, the things that could be lost to time... But if you have any level of interest, you can prevent that from happening.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i in like, uh, I'm in my late 30s. Uh, so I'm, I'm like right at the cusp of 40. I'm not enjoying it. I hate getting older. <laughs> but like all through my 30s, I went through a uh, antique book kick. I, I was just going to, it really got heavy during COVID. Because we were like all in lockdown. Yeah. And all the only escape we had was the Internet. You know, like we we all became very Internet dependent. And ironically, um, instead of getting exclusively Internet dependent with my life, I would go on eBay and I would just look up old books that were going for cheap on eBay. And I made out like a bandit with a bunch of like these old first edition, second edition, 1930s, 1801, 1880s books with like illustrations and gilding on the cover and all the whole nine yards. I, I have a what I like to call a gentleman's library, which um, I'm, I'm in a different location. But I think the last time we did a live stream, I was at my uh, uh, actual living space. And in the background was my gentleman's library. And my gentleman's library has grown. Excuse me. Uh my gentleman's library has grown so significantly that it um like I ran out of shelf space <laughs> mm. <laughs> <There> <laughs> for good go. reasons. You know, I have all these great books, but I just ran out of shelf space. I was like, Oh my god, I need bigger shelves. I never thought I'd <laughs> get here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, with my look- gentleman's library. And um it's definitely a mindset. Like, I always enjoyed antiques and old books and stuff like that, of course, because, you know, paleontology, archaeology, that jazz. But um, the old books really kind of made it like, uh, it, it just fit that niche perfectly. Like, I, I, I started collecting old paleontological papers. Uh, we did a, a, a skin chart recently for the ground sloth. And um, mm-hmm. I actually got a physical copy of the Peabody... Uh, the Yale Peabody specimen of of the northern um, the Shasta's ground sloth uh, northern ethereals and um, it has the plates the original plates in that old edition of not only the x-rays they did on that specimen because it had all the tendons and everything still intact but also the patches of fur that were on that, that specimen because uh, dealing in paleontology online is like, Fist fight after fist fight after fist fight. And we had one dingus uh who's been just perpetuating a lot of lies online. Um, and one of those lies was this uh this whole thing about like the hairless ground sloth, the South American species that would have been hairless, which isn't an original theory, it's a it's an old theory. Um but then we, we just did the same thing we did. It's like, well, if we use EPB, which is evolutionary phylogenetic bracketing, um, every ground sloth species that has preserved soft tissue has shown fur. Like, not only a little bit of fur, like, extensive. Uh, and this includes South American species of ground sloth, like a Zalmoxes and stuff like that. Uh, so we just went with that. And, and, and even then, the person we well, still crying about it. And we're like, listen, like you're coming at it, not at a scientific angle. You're coming at it like a fan, which I, I get, you know, paleontology has fans. I'm a fan, but we can't treat paleontology like we treated Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh So Sonic the Hedgehog, the fans hoo loud enough, justifiably, because that model was horrifying. Yeah. Um and I actually worked on the toy line with Sonic the Hedgehog when not, that whole thing went down. It was a nightmare. And um they complained loud enough that the studios actually listened to them and they changed the model and it looked good. It looks good now. But paleontology is not a fandom. It's not anime. It's not a comic book. It's not a cartoon. It's not you can't diplomatically veto science. That's not how it works it's not majority rules with science so if like a a dinosaur is there and it has feathers or it doesn't have feathers and you don't like it no matter which side of the coin you're on public opinion doesn't change the fossils and we had to go that same way with the ground sloth it's like just because you have an opinion and you're, you're coming at it like a fan this theory that you like doesn't become any more true, no matter how loud you complain, because we're giving you fossil data, a lot of fossil data, and this is what it. This is where the situation is currently. Until you find that fossil uh, that goes against the model of how that animal appears, that proof of evidence falls on you. But it's not a. Dip- Diplomatic thing. It's not. It's not the court of public opinion. That's how we got the anti-vaxxer movement because people were like, "Well, I don't want to get vaccinated," and COVID isn't that bad. And now we're stuck with new strains of COVID because you treated science like a court of public opinion, like a fandom, and that's not how science works. Like just because you don't like rocket booster technology, you take it out of a shuttle when you go into space because you you had a court of public opinion and then you blow up, like. Science doesn't care about the court. It's it's not a it's not anime. Stop treating science like anime. <laughs> you know, that's, how, that's how I just tell like stop it. I'm done dealing with you. Like 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 I I, I can't do it. Like I can't deal with the toxic fandom and,
0: and you know okay.
1: that part is literally going on. air. Uh, says it's cost us so much. We almost the world almost was set on fire. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, I, please do.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that is like. Public service that I share that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, please do. Please do. (laughs) I can't deal with another pandemic and then we all have to, like, oh, well, let's take a vote on it. Like, no, 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 we're not vote. Like, we're going to have scientists address this and we're going to listen to them this time when it comes to vaccinations and treatment. I had cancer and I listened to scientists to get treated. I didn't listen to an internet thread because they didn't think chemotherapy was cool. You know, (laughs) Like, like disease isn't something that is a fandom. Like, please, for the love of God, get your asses vaccinated I don't want to go through this again. I don't. (laughs) I don't think anybody does, you
0: know? (laughs) Oh, dear Lord, no. And, you know, as cruel as this may sound, like, some of these guys, they, like, didn't perish because of the pandemic. So, they're just, like, helping these uh, new kinds of virus to just propagate. And then, eventually, reach us, the people who actually believe science. So... Uh, can you please just bow before science for once in your
1: lives? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like it's tough because dinosaurs and paleontology, even in some cases, archaeology. Though archaeology does have more of a direct effect on 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 social issues. Um, I've I've seen that dealing with indigenous studies and, and Native American studies. But paleontology, I will say, like, it doesn't affect our day-to-day lives. Nobody's going to lose their life because a new model of a T-Rex came out. That, that's not a thing that's in our social lexicon. So it's easy to get lost in the fandom of paleontology um, because it doesn't affect your life in such a negative way. Um, so that that point gets kind of lost when it comes to those more interpretive sciences, uh because we're not trying to save an, an extinct species of dinosaur the dinosaurs went extinct so we don't have any real world repercussions for fringe theories that go out there uh, But at the same time it's like it, it doesn't make the field of science any less of a field of science uh like it may, it makes it that much more of a uh, it, it's still a field of science you know like we still have to deal with proof of evidence the fossil record there is a formula to which a theory is formulated. Um, and right now we're in a weird era of, I, I call it the dark ages of paleontology because we get a lot of interpretive things out there. And I'm like, they're not, they're not, they're again, it's being accepted in the court of public opinion. It's like, oh, this is cool. It, it's, It's trending. It's on Twitter. It's got a million likes it must be true. And it's like, no, it's just something, it's a fad, just like every other paleontological reconstruction is a fad, but it's still subjectable to evidence. It still needs fossil evidence. It still needs a burden of proof of evidence to prove whatever it is that you're presenting as true. And if you don't do that, uh or somebody presents you with a fossil that's counterintuitive to what it is you you like you don't approach it by kicking and screaming you approach it scientifically like well this is the fossil this goes opposite of what we know about this animal so either you change the model according to the scientific evidence and the fossil evidence or you keep what you have but you have to admit uh, it's no longer a scientifically accurate thing it, it's more of a fandom for you like uh, like the raptors from jurassic park you know those are still popular they're not scientifically accurate because we have new fossils showing that they had uh filaments and feathers and they were much more tinier um but if you choose to keep the raptors from jurassic park you have, have to then at least admit like well i keep it because it's a fandom and it's something I like. It's no longer a scientific thing. It's just a fan thing. This is what I like as a fan, which is good for you, man. If, if that's what you love, then that's what you love. But the problem comes when you start trying to force feed it and ruin people's careers and get on fights on Instagram or Facebook because you just want that to be the actual scientific model when it's not. It's not. It's not the scientific model. I, I've come to terms with that. Mind you, I'm a child of the 90s. I grew up with the scaly, giant monster raptor. Uh, but at the same time, from a scientific perspective, uh, as I delve more into the scientific evidence, I had to sit down and, and act like an adult and look at the evidence and come at it from a scientific perspective and say, okay, the Jurassic Park raptor is great. It was a great nostalgia. Put raptors on the map. Nobody knew what raptors were until Jurassic Park. Um, but now, when I do scientific raptors, I now have to see what the current evidence is for raptors. And a lot of them, or if not all of them, are all filaments and, and, and feathers and, and primary feathers for some of them. Uh, so that's how if I choose to do a scientifically accurate raptor, that's how I have to go when I do my reconstructions. Because it's no longer a fandom. It's now a scientific reconstruction. Those two things are very different. And one is subjectable to the court of public opinion, and one is not. And that's what we—that's where you gotta have to kind of like draw the line, you know. And and it's a tough line. I've I've gotten into tons of internet fights, and and people. I had a paper written using my material incorrectly, and I had to appeal to the lead author, um, oh. to fix it. Because everything, like, and my name is mentioned, the source is incorrect, they went to somebody, a peer-reviewed paper, mind you, I think it came out of, like, I think it came out of Argentina, and um, everything about it was wrong. (laughs) Like, Like, the person I went to to talk about my work was wrong, the data was mispresented wrong, the person didn't think I vetted my sources, and I talked to the people that we credited in the skin chart. None of it was proofed. I was never reached out and talked to. And then we found this paper written and, I, and it was in the supplementary data. And I'm like, what, it, what the F is all this? Like I literally, <laughs> and we had to reach out to the author. And even then he still thought me because the paper evidently went through multiple uh, uh, re, re, rewrites, which is usually a sign that it's not a good paper. When he goes through multiple rewrites and he keeps finding errors, That means that they didn't vet their data. And sure enough, we saw like there was a lot of Internet sources, a lot of Internet blogs, a lot of random shit. And um, I finally had a column on it. I was like, listen, this is my work that is being misrepresented here. Um, You need to fix it. And what he told me was like, oh, I can't go through another rewrite because my publisher will kill me. And I told him that's not my problem. Hmm. You have everything I have here. On a false pretense, like what are you doing? Like it's not my fault you listened to an internet source and you took their word for it, and it ended up being wrong. That's on you as a researcher to vet your sources. You did not deal with it, and uh, to his credit, he he did give me permission to post. Like this is incorrect. I copied the email because I have to keep my I have to keep my receipts in all these debates, and I do. And uh, But even then, the paper is still out there. It's still being miscited to this day. It's still being incorrectly represented. And I'm like, yeah, because, again, like, you went to the court of public opinion, and now it's presented as scientific fact. And that's not the way it works. And we're still kind of dealing. That's what I mean by like the paleo dark ages, like these younger researchers just aren't vetting their sources. They're not being as scrutinized with their methodologies. Uh, They're not getting access to specimens directly to their sample size. Isn't what it needs to be to get a a, a not biased results. And that's, these are all things we, I, 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 uh, what did I do? I interviewed Amelia Zetlow uh, who works on Tylosaurs and worked under Thomas Carr and uh, their, their scrutiny for scientific research is like really, 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 really uh, like airtight. And she even told me, like, she originally wanted to study Carnotaurus, and she couldn't, because the sample size was one. There's only one known skeleton of Carnotaurus that exists. And because of that tiny sample size, they just could not... Shy of describing the original holotype, there's no more research that you can really do on Carnotaurus, save for, like, maybe X-ray and nasal. But she's, like, as far as... as a sample size, it's non-existent, I can't study Carnotaurus until the more Carnotaurus are found, that's why she went to Mosasaurus, because the sample size is huge, so you can test results against other samples, and and you don't get a biased result from those examples, like you don't get a pathology that's weird, or, or some kind of genetic defect in a sample, and because there's only one organism or holotype, you think that's like per... Uh, that you think that's like common ground for every type of animal that comes out it's like no now she has a larger sample size so she can test things like genetic defects and pathologies and 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 weird stuff that happens with mosasaurs because she has a large sample size but even something like a sample size is still kind of getting glazed over now with recent paleontological papers that are supposedly passing peer review. So it's a huge issue like it's a huge issue that we still are running into to this day and a lot of it I think is because again the peer review process is slow as it should be because we've seen now what happens when the peer review process is sped (laughs) through we get very bad results (laughs) and uh, but a lot of these younger researchers are just like they want it done fast they want it like I, I submitted a paper and it needs peer review and I want it peer reviewed within like a month. So that way I can get it out there for the likes on the Instagrams and the social medias and the Twitter Xs and, and the Periscopes and whatever other random like social media outlet it's out there, you know. <laughs>